go to the grocery store in Kansas, you'll see the cost of your shopping bill might be a little larger than it is in many other states. That's because Kansas is one of seven states with a full tax on groceries and at a rate of 6.5% as the second highest tax in the nation. With the latest consumer price index indicating that grocery costs are on the rise and a higher than average food insecurity rate in Kansas, the impact of that high tax could be detrimental to families struggling to put food on the table. The impact of the high tax is detrimental to families struggling to put food on the table. But in recent days, Kansas Governor Laura Kelly announced a plan to introduce legislation in January to exempt food from the sales tax, joining Attorney General Derek Schmidt in urging GOP leaders to take action on the issue. I'm your host, Noah Taborda. On the Kansas Reflector podcast to discuss this proposal and the implications it could have is Karen Siebert, the public policy and advocacy advisor for Harvesters. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about this important issue. Absolutely. So I wanted to start broadly so that our listeners can get an understanding of what Governor Kelly and lawmakers are going to be looking into doing. If you could just briefly kind of tell me uh, what exactly is the governor proposing to do with the food sales tax? Well, the governor has proposed to eliminate the state sales tax on food. Um, And so we think that's um, an incredibly important thing that will help a lot of families, every family in Kansas, but particularly those low-income families who um, have experienced this sales tax um, as a regressive tax, and it it impacts them more than any others. Um, So we're very excited about it. Um, It would, the way the food sales tax works in Kansas is that food is taxed just like any other item that you would purchase um, and by the state. Then there are additional taxes that are put on the local, the county and the local level as well. So what the governor is proposing is to remove the state sales tax. So there still would be some sales taxes that people would have on their food that would be county or local level, um, but it would be a significant reduction for families throughout the state. So before we dive further into this proposal, I want to take a step back and frame the larger issue at play. First of all, I think it would do our listeners well if you could talk a little bit about harvesters and how you all fit into this equation. Sure. Harvesters um, is the regional food bank, and we are uh, based in Kansas City, Missouri and Topeka, Kansas. We have warehouses in both um, both areas. We serve a 26-county area, and that's 16 counties in Kansas and 10 in Missouri. And what we do is a lot of people mistakenly think of Harvesters as a food pantry. Um, we are actually a food bank, which is a large food collection and distribution facility um, where we collect donations from the, from the public, from the food industry, um, and we take those donations and then get those out to our member agencies throughout our service area. Those would be uh, food pantries that you might find in a community center and a house of worship um, in your community locally. Um, could be a, a soup kitchen, uh, um, domestic violence shelter, daycare centers, whatever those organizations are in the community that are serving people in need. We collect that food and get it to them. And what's important about that is we develop relationships with food donors, with, you know, AWG, with with Price Chopper, with Dillon's, um, and we work with them to take large donations. Um, That would be too much for any individual pantry, and we can bring that back and then distribute it out to where there's need. 
And what that allows us to do is, is building those relationships with the industry, then we can turn around and give them that food and they can work on those relationships that they have locally with the clients that are in need. Because a lot of those clients come to them um, and they are, they are hungry and food insecure and their family needs, they need food resources, but often they need other things as well. They might need, you know, a job training opportunities. They might need childcare. They might need a clothes closet. Um, and so that allows those agencies to do that personal um, interaction that they do so well and help the folks in their own communities. Gotcha. So you guys have a very intimate understanding of kind of the, the issues that are, are facing Kansas when it comes to, you know, putting food on, on the table. We do. And, I, and as I mentioned, um, we are we serve 16 counties in Kansas, so the northeast part of the state, with the exception of four counties on the extreme northeast part, um, which are served through the uh, Second Harvest Community Food Bank based in St. Joe, Missouri. And then the rest of the state is covered by our other uh, partner organization, the Kansas Food Bank. And they are based in Wichita and serve 85 counties, um, the bulk of the geographic area of uh, Kansas. It's it's interesting, while they serve so much space geographically because of the population shifts to Northeast Kansas, um, we serve almost the same number of people, um, but they have a, a whole unique situation for the rural communities they're trying to reach and, and help with, with rural food insecurity. But we work closely with um, the, our Feeding America partners, the Kansas Food Bank and Second Harvest, and together we serve every county in the entire state. So for me, I've always looked at Kansas as a state, you know, it's got very strong agricultural roots, a strong agricultural focus, but we have this food insecurity rate that is higher than the national average. So can you explain why that food is not landing on the table of, of hungry families? Where is that, you know, where is the disconnect? I think when it, when it comes to buying food in the grocery store, you need to have money to do that. And so I think this is where um, some, some, uh, economic development challenges we have in rural Kansas, um, you know, issues of, of the adequacy of wages come into play, um, the, really with food insecurity. And we have a lot of people who, um, who produce food in this state, but a lot of it is not going to uh, people. It's, it's commodity crops that are made for food processing and for those kinds of things. So um, we do, it's incredibly important a role that our agriculture uh, folks play, but it's not the kind of food that necessarily is, is being sold in our grocery stores. Um, different states, obviously places like California are, are you know, uh, producing food that goes directly to a table. So it's a little different scenario. Um, but we have great agriculture partners. We do have a lot of folks that, that are, um, planting crops that go to, you know, for restaurant use and that kind of thing. And when they have access, um, they give it to the food bank. You know, we can get a huge load of green beans or corn or squash, um, things that have been gleaned from the field after they've uh, gone and, and used that. And we can use that through our charitable donations. But it is a challenge when it comes to food insecurity. A lot of it's about the household budget. Right. So when it comes to budget, a high sales tax on, on food is likely going to make it Difficult. Uh, can you talk about historically how Kansas has dealt with the food sales tax and the impact that that has had on Kansas families' ability to, to put food on the table and to be properly fed? Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I grew up in Kansas and I didn't have any idea that not everyone was taxed on their food. It was not something I was even aware of 
until a few years ago when this issue was brought up by some advocates that this is a really regressive tax. I didn't know that people, that states didn't tax food. Um, so it's been interesting. In fact, just last night I was looking on the next door app in my neighborhood and there was a whole conversation about this and people were just so surprised. And then other people would chime in and say, well, I moved here from somewhere and I couldn't believe how much my, my groceries cost. So part of it's just an awareness um, that that it's even you know would have been possible not to have sales tax on your food, um, but it does. It the challenge with a, a sales tax is that it affects everyone equally, but everyone doesn't have equal incomes. So um, folks who have lower incomes, it the food sales tax takes a much larger part of their budget and. When you are spending 10% of your food budget on taxes, that means you've got to stretch the other 90% that you have available for food even farther. And I think what that does, unfortunately, is it makes people make really difficult choices of do I do I get this fresh fruit or do I get the ramen that's gonna that is calorie dense and is gonna last my family longer? Um, if folks had 10% of, or even if it was just the state sales tax of 6% back in their pockets, I think they could uh, use that to the to the benefit of their families. It's never something that I had considered being such a such a significant issue, but you know when you don't have that little bit of extra leeway, I I, I could understand how that would end up you know, becoming a, a big problem. And for me, you know, I look at this and I see two political leaders from both sides of the aisle who are, who are taking aim at this food element of the sales tax. But it makes me wonder if there is bipartisan support, what has taken us so long to get to this point? Well, I think one of the challenges is that while everyone would like to get rid of the food sales tax, it is a large part of the, the Kansas state budget. So where does that money come from? Fortunately, now we have a surplus and we have uh, the benefit of that. And so that will help. But then long term, um, how do you balance that? Where, where are those funds that we have been using those food sales tax uh, receipts from? Where, where do those, what do those get replaced with? Um, and our concern has always been, yes, we need to reduce the sales tax on food, but not if it's going to require us to cut essential services uh, that help low-income families that this is designed to help to begin with. I mean, if we're going to cut those work and family supports um, that we have through through state government, it might not be worth it. Um, you know, it's it's a balancing act there. So I think that's where the hard where the rubber hits the road for the legislative session is to figure out if we do if we don't have that revenue in the state budget, how is that covered for the long term, and to make sure that low-income people aren't the ones that are going to bear the brunt of the, the um, reduction of that revenue. Right. And like you said, now that we have the surplus, there's a sense that it could be addressed in the coming session. Um, having two gubernatorial candidates, you know, pushing for it is, is significant uh, uh, leverage to get something done. If the tax is cut or at least reduced, uh, how does this begin to address some of what we just talked about? Well, I, th I think that um, it would help a family. I think that the governor's office has said it would save a typical family of $500 a year. Um, that would certainly be helpful for low-income folks um, who are buying groceries to have uh, more of those um, more of those resources. I think it also has the opportunity to help help our local grocery stores. Um, you know, the rural grocery initiative has out of K State has really worked to try and save 
uh, grocery stores in small towns throughout Kansas, and the food sales tax is a challenge for many of those, I know. Um, I was just reading that approximately 70% um, of, or 70 counties out of Kansas is 105 counties border another state and um, at, or, with, or, or close by. And so that is a challenge. I know many people in Kansas, I live in Kansas City, not far from the state line, and many people who drive over to Missouri to buy their groceries. So that's harming Kansas uh, grocers who are not getting that business because people are going to the other side of the state line uh, to do their grocery shopping. Same thing with Colorado doesn't have a sales tax or Nebraska. Missouri has one, but it's much less. Um, and so, you know, people are going across the border and not shopping in their local grocery stores. And then those grocery stores go out of business. And um, I think as we all know, if a grocery, if a rural, rural community loses their grocery store, they lose a lot um, to, to the health of that community. And it, once you see a grocery store go, it's really sad. Um, to the to the health of that community and the folks that live there. Mm. So I do hope that if we would reduce that sales tax, it would help the efforts of the Rural Grocery Initiative and those rural grocers uh, to get a more solid financial footing and help keep those communities alive. Like you mentioned before, you guys have a, a bevy of partnerships and, and you work with quite a few folks in this arena. Uh, what have you been hearing from them about this proposal? How is this being received by partners? by people that you guys are helping. I think we're all very excited about it to see that there's bipartisan support for this and that the governor has come out so strongly to not just reduce the food sales tax, but to eliminate it in its entirety. Um, it, it can only be a good thing for low-income folks because it is one of the most regressive tax taxes that we have um, and it would help it would help a lot. What should legislators consider as they go about debating and considering this topic, what are what are some key things to keep in mind, whether it be policy related or, or people related? I think that, um, I think again, we all, there's bipartisan support for eliminating the food sales tax. We just have to make sure that with that reduction in revenue, we don't also undermine the programs and the family supports that are so important for the low-income folks um, in our state. Because if we if we're just robbing a Peter to pay Paul, we're not going to get any further along um, in helping our low income folks here in Kansas have better, more stable, stable lives. So moving a little bit past the food sales tax, you know, this is obviously not a catch all solution to food insecurity. There's a, a lot of other issues um, at play that, that could help remedy this. What are some of the other arenas that legislators should be looking at to help Kansas families in need? Um, I think one of the really important things would be to remove barriers to participation in federal nutrition programs. Um, Kansas has a fairly low uh, participation rate in SNAP, which is the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, um, formerly known as Food Stamps, which a lot of people know it as. Um, and there are a lot of barriers to that program for for folks in need. Um, one in particular, um, the legislature passed as part of the HOPE Act a number of years ago, um, a child support enforcement requirement for SNAP um, applicants. So um, we have people at our staff at Harvesters who help people fill out their applications. It's a quite extensive application, over 20 pages, and um, it's kind of difficult to fill out for many people. So we help them through that process. 
And there's a question on there where it asks, um, that says, I, you have to check the box that I agree that I will help DCF uh, find the non-custodial parent if they are not paying child support and make them pay child support. And our staff have gotten to that question with people who are filling out this application who have put a lot of time getting to this point and they stop the process. And they say, I can't do this. This is, a, I have an, an healthy relationship with the, the parent of my kids or you know, it could be a domestic violence situation. It's just, a, it's fraught with all kinds of issues and they stop the process. That is an unnecessary barrier for, for families and children to get the resources they need and that they are eligible for um, from the federal government to help feed their families. Um, and we know that, especially when it's about kids, um, this is, you know, child support is the issue. So it's, there are kids in the household those kids need to, to get uh, nutritious food. It's the most important time of their lives um, to be able to, to have nutritious food, be able to concentrate in school and do well in school. Um, we'll all be the better for it. Um, and so that's an unnecessary barrier that is put there. It's, it's not doing that much to increase um, child support receipts um, for the state. It costs a lot of money to do. And I think out of fear, a lot of people are not moving forward with those applications. And you can see that in the fact that we have a fairly low participation rate in SNAP in Kansas. So things like that, um, barriers that are that are um, to people, you know, and there's just a stigma around it um, that people don't want to be seen because there's, there's some uh, sort of cultural kinds of things that people put a stigma on needing help. But SNAP is not you know, most people are not on SNAP for that long. Um, it's a very temporary kind of thing to get them through a difficult time. Um, and then they'll get a, a job that is good, a better paying job and they'll be off it for a while, but it might be seasonal work. So maybe in a couple of years or they take a different job, they need help again for a few months, but it's not a long-term kind of a thing. There, there are rules about how long you can be on if you aren't working and all that kind of thing. So um, people are, are trying that. And those people who are working and on SNAP um, they just have really low wage jobs. The fact that they're working and they're still income eligible for SNAP is a concern, which again, goes back to the food sales tax. You know, if everything is eating away at that income, that low income that they have, it all makes a difference. So I think that um, just reducing barriers to the participation in those programs that are available to them um, can really go a long way to helping people. No, I think to a lot of folks, this food insecurity might not even be an issue that kind of crosses their mind. You know, you, you're, when you're growing up, some people, you know, the food just is constantly there. It's right in front of you for, for people that, you know, this isn't, you know, front of mind. Can you, you know, say why, why does this, why, why this matters to them and why it matters to the state that we address this, this problem, what would it mean for the benefit of all to be able to, you know, remedy an issue like this? Well, I think, I think the term food insecurity is important to think about. Um, we actually, in the hunger relief community, laughed that a number of years ago, I think it was during the Bush administration, uh, the USDA stopped using the word hunger. Um, so it's like, oh, we solved hunger. We no longer talk about it. Um, but what they did is they changed the terminology that they used from hunger, which really is a physical manifestation of not having enough to eat. You know, your stomach growls and you feel hungry. Food insecurity, I think, goes to also adding in the psychological, the social aspects of not having enough to eat. It's not just that you don't have enough nutrition to have a healthy, active life, but it's also the anxiety that comes from knowing 
like, okay, I have a meal right now, but what am I going to eat tonight? How am I going to feed my kids tomorrow? I don't have anything in the cupboard for them. The anxiety that goes around that and the psychology of that, of that, um, that challenge um, is, I think it affects all of us. It affects us as a society. When the folks don't have enough to eat, it affects so many things in their lives. Um, kids know, you know, they'll, we give, um, provide back snacks um, to, we call it the back snack program where we provide backpacks full of food to children who don't have enough to eat on the weekends. They rely on free reduced breakfast and lunch at school, but they go home and they don't have anything to eat. And we talk to the kids at the beginning of the year, the program, and, you know, talk about how you know, maybe they shouldn't open the bag up on the bus, you know, because other kids are going to want to eat it. Maybe they save that food for them at home. But, you know, they talk about how we always try and know what other kids are in the household because they're going to go home and they know that the other family members in their, in, in their household are hungry and they're going to share that food. You know, it, they, they know, and they're worried about that. And the fact that you're worried about if you're going to be able to eat um, the next day is going to affect how you do in school. Um, one of the ways that we work with local schools and, and I would say the other food banks in Kansas, the Kansas food bank and uh, second harvest also have backpack programs like this. And we go to the social workers and we say, you know, how, who in your school uh, do you think is food insecure? And they know because they see, you know, we point out things like, okay, are there kids that come to school ravenously hungry on Monday morning and just eat so much for breakfast? Are there kids that are putting food in their pockets at lunch so that they can take it home and eat it in the evening? You know, kids like that are not concentrating on what they're supposed to be learning in the classroom. They're concerned about meeting their basic needs. So I think that um, if we could, if we, whatever we can do to help solve the food insecurity problem, whether that's reducing the sales tax on food so families have more of their resources to spend to actually purchase purchase more food, more healthy food, um, whether that's reducing barriers so that families can receive the SNAP benefits that they're eligible for, all of those things will go towards helping having a, a healthier, um, more productive community in all of our communities throughout the state. So as we wrap up, I just wanted to give you the space to address anything we may not have touched on or provide any closing thoughts. The floor is yours. Well, thanks. Um, so many things. But um, I do just want to say, you know, I was talking about um, the food sales taxes, just giving people more money in their budget to work with. Um, I think it's important. We, we do a hunger study every year. And the, the data I have is from a few years ago. We're working on doing another study of what the people coming to the charitable sector in Kansas, what brings them to our food pantry doorsteps and what situations are they in? Um, what, what agencies are, are there helping them? Um, and just learning more about why they're food insecure and why they're needing help. And so many of them say they're just making difficult choices because at the end of the day, their budget cannot meet all the needs they have. As we've seen, especially during the pandemic, you know, food costs are rising um, and the housing costs are sky high as well. Um, and those are fixed costs for people. We worry about the upcoming winter and they say that um, home heating costs are gonna go uh, higher as well. Those are all fixed costs that people can't, you know, you can't really just pay part of it. You have to pay your whole rent every month. And so when you do all those things, 
really the only budget that has any flexibility is your food budget. And so that's where people will take from to make sure their electric bill is paid or their heating bill or their rent. And um, in that hunger study, it, we asked clients who were coming to the food pantry to help and 65% said they were having to choose between paying for food and paying for their utilities. 64% um, said they were choosing between paying for food or paying for medicine or medical care. And fully 53% were saying they were choosing between paying for food and paying their rent or mortgage. So those are really, really tough decisions for Kansas families that no one should have to make. Um, and hopefully things like removing the sales tax on food will give them some more flexibility in their personal budgets to be able to just give them a little more leeway to not have to, and maybe just not have to make those difficult choices. That is about all the time we have, Karen Siebert, Public Policy and Advocacy Advisor for Harvesters. Thank you for joining us on the Kansas Reflector podcast today.